Welcome to the 49ers Camelot show. I'm excited to have you, excited to have everybody here. So what we're going to do is go through the uh, 49ers Web Zone Mailbag, our most recent edition of it, to talk about, uh, <coughs> go through some of the questions and uh, answer those. Uh, but before we do, I want to get into some of, uh, some of what we saw uh, yesterday when Kyle Shanahan spoke, uh, he spoke on, on uh, Wednesday to the media and had some updates uh, towards roster moves and things like that. So uh, so let's talk about that real quick. <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, the 49ers signed defensive lineman Sebastian Joseph Day. Uh, this could be an indication that Eric Armstead is going to be out for a while. We'll talk about that here uh, shortly. They re-signed offensive lineman Matt Pryor um, as well. So that's a positive thing because with the 49ers offensive line situation, uh, they're going to need some help. And we're going to talk about that here shortly. They waived running back Jeremy McNichols. Uh, they also signed offensive lineman Sebastian Gutierrez. So two Sebastians they, uh, they signed. They, uh, they released Willie Sneed, uh, but then re-signed him back to the practice squad. And uh, one of the things that I think 49ers fans are going to be excited about is that they opened the practice window for wide receiver Danny Gray. So a lot of people um, ask about Danny Gray and uh, when he might be able to play. So his practice window is open, so maybe we'll see Danny Gray hit the field. I know the 49ers would love to get him uh, – Going because look, they need that deep speed threat. They don't currently have that, and so I think that they would love to have somebody like Danny Gray on the field, uh, clearing out routes, taking safeties with them, so that that would open up a lot of the the underneath stuff more. Um, and who knows? With uh, I don't know if Danny Gray is the kind of guy you want to put back there. For return punts, uh, but maybe they maybe they want to try him out at punt returner or even kick returner. Um, I think Debo Samuel's been great back there, but do you really want Debo back there returning punts that often? I I, I mean uh, kickoff. I, I don't think that you do uh, just because you don't want to increase his chances of getting hurt, but. But that'll be an interesting thing to see. What uh, you know with what happened with Ronnie Bell. Uh, put the ball on the ground yet again um, on another punt return. Maybe we're going to see somebody. Maybe Kyle Juszczyk's going to be back there. Maybe uh, uh, Brandon Ayuk. Uh, maybe Nate Gray comes comes onto the scene and he ends up playing uh, some punt returns. So we'll have to wait and see uh, how that turns out. But let's jump into the mailbag and see what uh, what we can take away. So here's the first question from Andy. Can Brock Purdy perform well behind? It seems like if we don't have a lead, rushes and mistakes happen. Can he stay calm and lead the team to victory? Well, look, I on one hand, I think that Brock Purdy wasn't very good on Monday night. But you also have to keep in mind that he wasn't that bad. I mean, I, I heard Greg Cosell talking about this um, earlier today where he said, look, the 49ers in the first half had 230 yards of offense. 
if things would have gone normal and, and you wouldn't have had all of those turnovers, they probably would have had 500 yards on offense on the day against maybe the best defense of the league. So for all those that are saying that Brock Purdy was terrible, yes, he was terrible as far as the turnovers. That first interception was a bad bad decision. It wasn't necessarily a bad throw, just a bad decision. Um, I think that Troy Aikman said that was Purdy's third read in the progression. And Aikman said if that had been his first or second read, it would have been a touchdown. But it was his third read, so he was uh, so Purdy was a little bit late getting that ball out. And because of that, uh, the safety was able to cut in front of Debo Samuel and, and pick off the pass. So, you know, so then you look at the uh, second interception. It was a tipped ball uh, that uh, was just kind of a fluky play. The third one was another bad decision. I mean, that was the one where McCaffrey uh, was called for the chop block. Purdy said that he saw the flag, figured it was against the 49ers, should have just thrown it away, but instead he tried to force it into Kittle, uh, actually bounced Kittle and into the arms of a Ravens defender. Um, and that, uh, that pass, uh, the, the last interception was uh, he was hit. Uh, Colton McKibbitz, the blocker or the uh, pass rusher through. Purdy was hit as he was releasing the ball and it kind of flopped up in the air and, and another interception. So on one hand, yeah, he, he was bad. But on the other hand, he also wasn't too bad. Now, I feel like he wasn't quite as accurate um, as he normally is. But to me, the bigger issue was that he looked kind of jittery in the pocket, uh, especially in the second half. Uh, I remember a play where he threw the ball and kind of you could just see that he was bracing for the hit. That's not something that Brock Purdy usually does. And so I just think it was one of those fluke games. Uh, Troy Aikman even mentioned at one point that he thought that Purdy was seeing too much color. In other words, that he's seeing things that aren't there, uh, maybe seeing some ghosts, whatever, however you want to put that. But every every quarterback has a bad game, and this was probably Purdy's worst. Uh, the Cleveland Browns game, which was previously his worst, I mean, that game, at the end of the game, when he had to get his team into field goal range for the win, he did. And so to me, that was impressive that he had a terrible game in Cleveland and still put him in, in, in an opportunity to win. So, um, so yeah, I think that I, th I think a part of his issue is that he just hasn't been behind that often. And so um, to me, that's part of the issue. Um, not... Like, I just don't think – I think it's too early to say Brock Purdy can't come from behind uh, to win. That's I, I just think that's uh, too early to, to say that kind of thing at this point. Next question is from Niner Jim. Do you think Eric Armstead's plantar fasciitis might make this his last season, or is it curable? I don't think that, that uh, Eric Armstead's foot injury is career-threatening, but – it does concern me a little bit that the 49ers don't seem to have a grasp on when he could return. And part of that is, is the, the injury itself. It's, it's just hard to determine, you know, how, when is this going to get better? How's it going to get better? I know that it can, it just takes rest. It takes staying off of it. Um, but I, I think that that's probably one of the reasons why the 49ers uh, on Tuesday agreed to terms with, 
Sebastian Joseph Day. Um, probably a good fill-in for the 49ers until Armstead's back. And then even when Armstead does come back, you have a pretty good um, rotation there on the defensive front, especially defensive tackle with uh, Hargrave, Armstead, Kenlaw, and now uh, Joseph Day. So I think that uh, that that's going to be the plan. To me, it uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Armstead doesn't return until after the regular season. So if the 49ers are able to keep that uh, home field advantage, then what I would see happening is that they would uh, keep Eric Armstead out for the rest of the regular season, have that bye week in the first round of the playoffs, and then that would give Armstead about six weeks that he's not been making things worse, you know, so he's been able to rest and recover some uh, at that point for about six weeks. And so hopefully he can come back in the playoffs and rested and, and fired up and ready to go. But uh, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what the 49ers do, keep Armstead out for the rest of the regular season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I am concerned about that Rams game. I'll talk more about that next week. But uh, the Rams are red hot. And right now the 49ers uh, are in a situation where they're probably going to have to win every game. So if the Eagles uh, beat the Cardinals on Sunday, and if the uh, uh, the Lions beat uh, the Cowboys, then the 49ers are going to go into Week 18 needing to beat the Rams. And so, uh, and it's possible that week that both of those teams can lose, and the 49ers don't even have to 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 win that game. But right now, um, it, the way it's set up is that the 49ers have to win both of these last games. So. That's right now. I mean, it, I think the Eagles are going to beat the Cardinals, but it is possible that the Cardinals could win. They can run the ball, and I don't know if the Eagles can stop the run very well. Um, with the uh, Cowboys, that game is at home uh, against the, uh, the Lions, and so the Cowboys are better at home. So it's very possible that Dallas will beat Detroit um, on Sunday, which would basically knock Detroit out of contention for that uh, top seed, and so then the 49ers just have to worry about uh, finishing with a with at least the same record as the Eagles. Uh, let's see. Next question. This is from Tony. How long are the 49ers' offensive line injury wo- woes expected to last? Given that before the game versus the Ravens again, it was comprised of Trent Williams and then spare part to the right of him. And now it's uniformly poor stands, Williams. Um, what are the options? Will Williams and Banks be recovered by next week? Well, so the 49ers signed Matt Pryor. Um, they, they had released him. Now they've brought him back. Uh, so Pryor will be there. Uh, but here's the thing. They lost Trent Williams to throw an injury. He says that he's fine. and. The really good news is that the 49ers have listed him as limited. So on Wednesday at practice, he actually practiced he was limited, but uh, that's a positive sign and looking like Trent Williams will be able to play on Sunday. Jalen Moore has a concussion, so he's going to have to go through the uh, the concussion protocol. Uh, that's a multi-step thing. 
And so the fact that they played on Monday night and essentially have one less day for him to recover makes it unlikely that Jalen Moore will be ready for Sunday. Um, Aaron Banks has a toe injury. No word on his availability. He did not practice on Wednesday. So I would say that right now, I would expect Williams to play. I would expect Banks to not play, which I would think would put John Feliciano at left guard and then Spencer Burford back at right guard. So that's uh, at least uh, somewhat better than what they ended up with last uh, uh, on Monday night. Next question is from Brenda. She says, it was just a loss. We will bounce back. But I would like to know how our guys are. Any major injuries? I hope they fill up if there were any. So on Wednesday, Kyle Shanahan addressed the John Trent Williams injuries as well. And so uh, I mentioned Banks did not practice. Juwan Jennings uh, is still in the concussion protocol. I would say there's a good chance that Jennings could play Sunday. Um, a little surprised that he wasn't good to go on uh, uh, on Monday night. But every player progresses through the concussion protocol differently. I mean, it not only depends on on the person, but it depends on the severity of the injury. And so um, Jennings uh, obviously was not good and was was not uh, light enough. I, I, I maybe that's a way to put it. Uh, that that he was able to still play on uh, uh, on Monday night, but uh, he could be good to go. Um, certainly hope so because I, I feel like they really missed him on Monday night. Eric Armstead, uh, his uh, we talked about has a foot injury. Nothing new to report on him. Ross Dwelly has an ankle. He's good to go. Elijah Mitchell with the knee. He's good to go. Uh, Warren Burke uh, has a knee injury. He was limited. I would say all three of those, uh, Dwelly, Mitchell, and Burks, have a really good chance to play on Sunday. Now, here's the one that we didn't know about. Safety, Jair Brown, has a knee sprain. He did not practice on Wednesday, and Shanahan seemed a little concerned that this might be a long-term issue. So, um, so it'll be interesting if Jair Brown can't play, who's going to step in there? You know, is it going to one of these uh, backup safeties. Can't see him somebody else in. in there. Uh, Ambry Thomas uh, left the game with hamstring. He was limited. So if they're limited, that's then they're at least practicing some, uh, just on a limited basis. Um, so usually a, a limited player has a good chance to play. So Ambry Thomas should be good. Debo Samuel has a neck injury. So he should be fine. Levon Hargrave has the hamstring force. He was limited. Brock Purdy has the stinger uh, in his shoulder, and he's good to go. So, uh, so a lot of injuries really starting to mount up, but some of these guys are going to be good to go um, when they come back. Joshua asks, why didn't we utilize Brandon Ayuk in the first three quarters? Well, it's interesting because I, I, I was saying the same thing because in the fourth quarter at one point, Brandon and I use one catch and one penalty. Not, uh, not really what uh, you want to see from your star receiver like that. But, but the offense was just a mess at times. Yeah, they were moving the ball really well, but those turnovers hurt. 
and then things started getting out of hand. So, you know, Purdy was struggling, you know, with the interceptions. The offensive line was struggling. And that's obviously going to affect everyone, even uh, receivers. Now, they did start getting the ball to Ayuk in the fourth quarter, and he ended up with six catches for 113 yards. But I, I agree. Waiting until the fourth quarter, that's just too late. Uh, Brandon Ayuk's way too good to not be more involved in the game plan. Ron didn't really ask a question here in our mailbag, but he did make a statement that uh, was interesting enough that I thought that I included. He said, Darnold is a better quarterback, still a backup. So he's saying that Sam Darnold is better than Brock Purdy. And I have to completely disagree here. Just because Sam Darnold came into the game, completed some passes, drove down the field, scored a touchdown on a day that Brock Purdy had his worst game, doesn't make Sam Darnold better. Um, you have to remember that Darnold was playing against a softer defense because of this by by that point the game was kind of out of reach and so um, he wasn't really seeing the same defense that Brock Purdy was. Now to his credit, Darnold did lead him down for a touchdown. Then right there at the end, he had a chance if he hadn't thrown that interception, he had a chance that if they could have got in the end zone. They would have been within seven points, and who knows? If you kick an onside kick and actually recover it, then you have a, a prayer's chance of, of, of tying the game. So that was pretty impressive, and I guess that's kind of one thing that I took away from this game. Is that even though the offense turned the ball over five times, they still put up a lot of yards. They moved the ball really well. And so I think that that has to be – consideration. The other thing is that um, you look at the fact that the game essentially was a blowout. I mean, in, in the uh, third quarter, the fourth quarter, it just wasn't close anymore. And yet the 49ers ended up in the end with a chance to potentially tie the game if they would have they had to score the touchdown, recover an onside kick, um, but still, the fact that they were in that position, I thought was impressive consider, considering how poorly they had played. Andy asked, why doesn't Kyle use Mason on goal line runs? It just seemed like a no-brainer when they had the ball at the two to give it to Mason to pump it. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that thought. I mean, Mason is bigger, more bruising back, but the guy he backs up, Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the league. McCaffrey has great vision, which makes him effective in those short yardage situations, and he's really strong himself. And so, Mason seems like the perfect short yardage back. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's not too bad at it either. Now, I, I would say that I'd like to see Mason in some of those situations just to see how he how he is, but especially with Elijah Mitchell coming back. This week, I don't know that Mason's going to get those opportunities. You know, with McCaffrey there, I, I seriously, I just I don't see that happening. But um, it is an interesting thing to, to think about. Bain uh, writes, I can accept the loss and Purdy having a bad day, partly unlucky, partly bad day. But what gets me is one single play that continues to happen over and over with Shanahan on an important. One instead of pounding the ball inside and taking the first, 
He once again gets cute and tries to fake the defense and roll out Purdy only to get crushed on the edge. He got bailed out on the defensive penalty, but still, when will Shanahan ever learn? I'm not sure if this is exactly the play that I remember, but I do remember a, uh, a fourth and one where it was kind of a bootleg situation where Purdy it looked like looked like he had the option to run or pass. Um, Kyle Juszczyk was open on that. Uh, the problem was as soon as Purdy uh, faked the handoff and, and started rolling. There's somebody in his face, and he wasn't able to get the pass off. So uh, had that worked a little bit better, I think that people would be praising the call. I liked the call, even though it didn't work. Um, I still liked it because I kind of felt like the Ravens were going to be looking for a run middle and fourth and one. But still, you know, anytime the play doesn't it's going to get criticized, uh, but I actually liked the play. Niner Jim asks, uh, first and goal from the one in the in uh, the fourth quarter, patched up offensive line. Why not run it four times with McCaffrey, Juice, or Mason? Well, I think probably he's talking about uh, toward the end of the game when Sam Darnold led him down there and, and threw the uh, interception after he took the snap. I'm guessing the, the amount of time on the clock probably was a factor. I mean, if you run the ball and you don't get in and the clock keeps going, uh, where at that point if they throw the ball, you're you're looking at it's either going to be caught in the end zone for a touchdown or it's going to fall incomplete and the play is going to the, – the clock going to stop. Or in this case, then Sam Arnold throws an interception. But uh, it's also possible that the coaches felt like that was the best that patched up offensive line had a better chance of pass blocking than they did run blocking. I, I don't know that, but that might've been their thinking. And then their thinking might've been, look, we have McCaffrey, we have Debo, we have Kittle, we have Ayuk. Surely one of those guys can get open in time to, uh, to score. So I don't really know what, uh, what the thinking was there, but I, I really didn't have an issue with, with I, I mean, you know, on that third down, I think that Sam Darnold got got rid of the ball before he got sacked. Um, so that was kind of a kind of a bad sack there. And fourth down, you ha- you can't run the ball at that point. You have to throw it. So um, it is. What it is. Ed asked, in your estimation, how big of a wake up call was this 49ers awful loss to Baltimore? And how much of the 49ers was exposed by the Ravens? So let me address the wake-up call first. So the 49ers actually need a wake-up call. I mean, they lost three games in a row earlier in the season. They were playing on Christmas night, which was Monday night, in front of a national audience against the other team that everybody says is as good as you. They, they're in the driver's seat for the top seed in the NFC. I really don't think that they needed a wake call. I think that they were awake. I think they just had a bad game all around. So to me, it was just a complete breakdown. My concern seem, is that it seems like whenever things start to get bad for this 49ers team, they start to crack. And they start to try to make things happen instead of just staying within the scheme, staying within 
offense or defense and let things come to you, um, I feel like they try too hard and then they end up making things worse. So that uh, that's that's my my thinking on that. As far as if the 49ers were exposed by the Ravens, I do not think that they were exposed. But here's why. First, they turned the ball over five times and had no take. You don't win games when you're at negative five in a turnover differential. They also had 10 penalties for 102 yards. That's bad. You're not going to win too many games if you're getting that many penalties. The offense will still get the ball. 429 yards. So they still so so the Ravens defense didn't really figure the 49ers offense out. They didn't expose the 49ers offense still move the ball. They just kept turning the ball. Uh, the 49ers offense uh, or the 49ers team uh, in general still scored 19 points. Two of those were from the, the defense safety. I mean, with a defense like what the 49ers have, 19 points will win you a lot of games. See Jimmy Garoppolo. He won a lot of games with the 49ers, and they didn't score much more than that. Um, and then the, the last thing is that even though they played so poorly, uh, like I said before, they still had a chance to to uh, score a touchdown at the end of the uh, game that would have put them within seven points if they could recover an onside kick. So, um, so even though the, it really was – Technically a blowout. I think that uh, you know the Ravens. They obviously started playing softer coverage on defense, but still, I don't think the 49ers were exposed. Andy asks, "Was this a case of Kyle outsmarting himself when he should have just fed Christian McCaffrey with a five to nothing lead?" Well, let's take a look at that. So they get the five to nothing lead. And here's what the, the next three drives looked like. They had three more possessions for the rest of the uh, uh, the first half. And here's what it looked like. The first drive after the five to nothing lead was a pass, a run for three yards, a pass, and then another pass that was intercepted. So one run and three passes. Uh, the second drive after the five to nothing lead was a run for two yards, a pass, and then a pass was intercepted. Um, so again, one run, two passes there. The third possession was the one that scored the touchdown, the McCaffrey uh, touchdown. They ran the ball for three yards, then they passed, then there was a run, which was a quarterback sneak, then they passed, then they ran for 39 yards, and then they ran for the nine-yard touchdown. So on the two um, interception drives after the 5 to nothing lead, the 49ers ran the ball on each drive, but they only gained a few yards. But on the touchdown drive before the time, they ran the ball out of the final place. When the 49ers run the ball more than they throw the ball, they usually win. And so I think you can say, you know, that Kyle Shanahan outsmarted himself. But I think, it, I think that a lot of it had to do with just how the game was unfolding and and they were taking what was coming to them because again they were moving the ball um, other than those interceptions. Tony said considering the pressure the Ravens defensive line was mounting and discarding two horrible decisions by Purdy, what could Purdy have done differently and what did he do well? Well I think that he needed to calm down. When things started falling apart and he'd thrown, you know, multiple interceptions, I think that 
you know, he looked good on the opening drive, but then made a bad decision. And then he just kept making some bad decisions. And, and uh, I said it earlier that he just seemed a little bit um, uh, kind of more of, uh, gosh, what's the word that I'm looking for? A little skittish maybe, uh, which is not something we see from him. And so, I think that he just needed to relax and let the game come to him. But he wasn't the only one. His teammates weren't playing very well either. He did make some nice plays out there, uh, threw some nice balls. But again, he just he just needed to 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 relax and, and maybe not try to force things. Uh, you know that play, um, the third interception when when he threw the ball to Kettle, it was intercepted. If if he just would have if he just would have thrown that ball away, then the 49ers punt and the Ravens may not have scored after that, uh, that uh, on their next possession, like they did uh, when that interception came. So I just think that uh, he needs to, he's a gunslinger and he's going to take the risk. And that's one of the things that makes him special. But I also think that he needs to um, at times just, just relax and, and maybe not take quite so many risks. <clears throat> Thomas asks, I hate pass-heavy game plan. They started uh, at Eagles game the same way and struggled early. Hopefully there's some uh, something to be learned. How can San Francisco be better if these teams play again? Because I don't think they can contain Lamar. Well, first off, nobody's going to contain Lamar Jackson. He's just that good. Um, the 49ers did throw the ball 46 times compared to only 18 rushes. But I don't think that was necessarily a Shanahan thing. I think the game unfolded that way. When you get behind, you have to start throwing the ball. But anyway, that's not the recipe for success for the 49ers. Uh, they need to be near a 50-50 split. When they run the ball more than they throw, they almost always win. When they throw the ball more than they run, they normally lose. But times they lose those games. This is just a team that's built to run. Now they're throwing the ball forward this year because of the weapons and because of Brock Purdy. But uh, this is still a team that needs to be running a lot. They allow that play action uh, a lot. So, But I don't think the 49ers defense did too bad against Lamar Jackson. He only had 45 yards rushing. 30 of those came on one run. Now, that was a bad run with multiple missed tackles and it came at a terrible time for the 49ers defense. But still, I don't think that I don't think that it was too bad. Um, nobody's gonna contain Lamar Jackson. Uh, I feel like the too terrible on this night. But that's all that I have for today. Uh, it's gonna be fun to see on Sunday how the 49ers bounce back. They're going to travel to Washington to play the commanders. I think that I think they're going to come in angry. I think they're going to be focused, and uh, I, the, Washington has the uh, I think it was the the thirty first ranked defense, the thirty second ranked uh, pass defense, and like the eighteenth ranked uh, run defense. So I would anticipate the Forty ers putting up a lot of points and uh, putting up a lot of yards. So it's going to be fun to watch, and uh, hopefully the Eagles and the Lions will lose so the 49ers can go into Week 18 not 
in a must-win situation. That would be the best-case scenario. But hey, thanks for joining me. If you wouldn't mind, take a minute to subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening um, somewhere with your podcast, please take a minute to rate and review. Follow the 49ers and Camelot Show. Everybody have a great rest of your week.